Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the program. My guest tonight are two celebrated women poets. These two award-nominated poets have published two books, different sides of the same coin and mirrored images. They are also sisters. Welcome to the program, Cheryl Jackson and Loris Wallace. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Say it like you mean it. Thank you. <laughs> I mean it. <laughs> Thank you for having us. All right. It's great to be here. It's great right. to be here with you, Dr. Ingram. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I've heard a lot about you both, and I'm glad we have an opportunity to talk and for me to hear your poetry. Now, let's begin this poetic journey. Loris, yes. what is poetry? For me, poetry is rhythm. It is culture. It is a written lyrical history of one's past or culture or what one is going through presently. It is written thought, what you, written emotion. Mm -hmm. The thing that I love about poetry is you can use metaphors to say something without literally saying it, but it means the same. Very nice. Cheryl, talk to me. What is poetry? Uh, Dr. Ingram, there's no daylight. I mean, we are the same person <laughs> because the definition that Lars had given, mm -hmm. my definition was an intensely written rhythmic language of expressed emotion is how I would define poetry. Right. And as she just touched on, it can be culture, it can be history, mm -hmm. it can be um, just our language. And mm -hmm. specifically when we're talking about Black language, mm -hmm. that is very rhythmic. That is very lyrical. And that is why we love it so much. Tell me more about this Black language. Well, some would say the polite folk would mm -hmm. refer to it as vernacular or Black dialect mm -hmm. is, is, is how that would be termed. And we interchange both of those terms because a lot of our pieces are written in that what they call, quote unquote, vernacular or Black dialect. We do it purposely. All right. So we've talked about what it is. What I'd like to know from both of you is why is it important? For it's me, it's important to keep the, the art form alive. It's important that you get your voice heard. Mm -hmm. It's important, especially at this time. Right. Um, I was, I was going to say more than that. It is a time stamp in real time of what is going on in the world. Right. And particularly right now with the culture being what it is and the political landscape being what it is, mm -hmm. they are 
working overtime. Mm -hmm. Some of the Republican GOP are working overtime to erase Black literature right. and Black history. Mm -hmm. And so for a, the Black writer, for my sister and I, it is critically important that we tell these truths and these stories so that they don't pull a Tulsa, Oklahoma, a Black Wall Street Journal on our entire nation in real time in this moment. That's why it's so critically important. Right. I'd like to know what compelled the two of you to work together? We always wanted to work together, Dr. Ingram. We always, I can remember us in our bedroom when we were 10 and 11 years old and we were t saying, we were gonna write a, a, a book about how we grew up because we were thinking nobody would believe <laughs> the stuff that we go through. And we said, we're going to write a book. And, and my sister, Cheryl, was like, we're going to write this book and we're going to entitle it. What was it, Cheryl? What was the name we were going to give it? We were gonna Glass give it Houses. Glass Houses. Yes, exactly. Glass Houses. Right. <laughs> and uh, so we had been talking about it, like I said, since we were about 10 and 11 years old. So we always knew we were going to write a book. The surprise, Dr. Ingram, mm -hmm. we didn't know we were going to write a poetry book. That was the surprise. That brings up a question that I'd like the both of you to answer. Okay. I'd like you both to share with me an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, for me, it was during, my, during the college years. Um, I saw so much of our history, our heritage and our culture. And our parents grew up in the segregated South. And to read the works of Paul Lawrence Dunbar about how us as a heritage of people, as a race of people, we wear the mask. Mm -hmm. When you read something that pivotal and that poetic and you see yourself in it, and Langston Hughes is another one. Mm -hmm. Those pieces are just timeless. They stand the test of time. Great language is not dated. For, for me, it also was college. But I got to tell you, um, you know, when you're in high school, Cheryl and I uh, went to a high school that was predominantly um, a, a Caucasian school. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, when you grow up in a situation like that, not knowing about Langston Hughes and not really getting to discover James Baldwin and Zora Neale Hurston, when you finally get into college and those people are introduced to you, you just really lose your mind. The thing that really did it for me was when I heard Nikki Giovanni's Eagle Trip. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was a religious experience. Suddenly I came alive. I, I realized that I was living and I was alive. That's what that poem did for me. And I, when you have that kind of a reaction, you just want more and more and more. And then I just started wanting more. Mm -hmm. And I, I became engrossed in poetry. Well, I'd like you both to share poems. <laughs> Cheryl, you go first. I knew you were going to do that. 
This is called Lamentations of a Black Mother because it's Mother's Day in a few weeks, so why not? Lamentations of a Black Mother is pretty much self-explanatory, but I wrote this because like so much of our second book, we were watching the news headlines and we were watching beautiful Black males and men just mowed down by the police. I think the trigger and the thing that changed our lives forever was watching George Floyd mm. just be executed on a sidewalk as a police officer put his knee on his neck and choked and suffocated his life out. So this is uh, where this poem, Lamentations of a Black Mother is born from. Black mothers love black sons. Black mothers birth black sons, raise black sons, cry for our black sons, grieve black sons, mourn black sons, great God in heaven. When will black mothers stop bearing our black sons? Still lamenting George, Ahmad, Rashard, Elijah, Dante, and all the beautiful Black sons whose untimely deaths make it extremely difficult for us all to catch our breaths. Poem. All right. Yes. Okay. Uh, oh, yes. Then Loris. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do Sister Serenade. The reason I chose this poem is because um, I wrote it in the dialect. It's one of my poems that I write you know, I wrote in the dialect. And it's just, uh, we have an older sister who, you know, uh, we don't really get along with her, but uh, uh, sometimes you just feel like talking to someone without actually talking to them. Because right. <laughs> we have been talking to her uh, her whole life, well, our whole life, because she's older than us, and she doesn't listen. So I just wrote this. I says, it says, girl, what you been doing? You've been living and life done caught you off guard. I heard you've been talking, talking to the preacher man, talking to your friend down the hall. You even been talking to that old man on the corner. Did they tell you anything you want to hear? What you want to know, sister girl? Will the snow fall tomorrow? What you want to know? How the rain fa fell in Spain? Listen, girl, ain't no streets called easy. No sundrich paths leading to brighter tomorrows. Ain't no Prince Charmin's coming down no yellow brick roads. It just ain't. You got to get your head together. Today ain't yesterday and yesterday ain't tomorrow. We living for today and today is all it is. You reflect back too long, you find yourself lost in what was. Ain't no wish I could have or if onlys. All it is, is what it is. You dig what I'm saying? Poem. <laughs> I love that poem. That poem is like my, it's my favorite poem. Why? <laughs> Talk to me, why? 
Well, because um, my sister is so gifted and I, I love when she writes poems in Black dialect. All right. And that poem predominantly was all Black dialect. And so I think for me, the language of it is what speaks. And it's fun. And I love just everything about it. Beautiful. The two of you, you've written two books. <laughs> different yeah. sides of the same coin and mirrored images. And I'd like to talk about both. Okay. We'll start with different sides of the same coin, which was written in 2019. Mm -hmm. Yes. What prompted the book? Either one of you. We always wanted to write a book, but what prompted the book was Cheryl had been writing poems and she was very vocal about writing poems. I didn't start writing poems until years later, actually, when I was in my 30s and uh, things were happening in my life. I didn't quite understand. So I went back to uh, journalism school 101, which is keep a journal. So I said, okay, I'm gonna write a journal so I can understand myself better. And then I can figure out why these things are happening to me. So when I began writing in the journal, I wrote, I wrote a fr the first couple of entries and I went back and read them and they had a rhythm. They actually had a rhythm. They flowed like a, a poem. And I said, wow. I said, I like that. So I kept doing it. And then over time, I was like, you know, uh, I finally broke down to my sister, Cheryl. And Cheryl, I'll let you take the story from there. Well, we are each other's best friends and biggest fans. And so I was really rather surprised because as Laris just told you, um, I wasn't shy about writing. I'd been writing for a very long time. Um, but what's a surprise is, is when I discovered that my sister was a natural writer and she wasn't vocal about it, but she was, to me, more of a natural writer than I am. And when you have a patriarch, our dad became ill. And he was pretty uh, sick. He had stage four uh, prostate cancer. So he wanted us to have all of our writings in one place. And so book one, which is different sides of the same coin, is actually a collection of poems that date back 20 years or better. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that, we, that poem that I just read, those are journal entries because it's from right. our first book different sides of the same coin that is an entire journal entry we decided to put it in a book tell me more about the title different sides of the same coin that's so easy cheryl and i always say we're the same person even though we look different and our personalities are a bit different we're still the same person so that's why we said uh, different sides of the same coin Sure, you want to add anything? No, because she pretty much phrased it the way it is. Fantastic. Now, as I look at the book's cover, it's quite striking. I'd like to know more about the cover. Well, I, I kind of knew that um, I wanted to have our images on the front cover. Mm -hmm. And as Black women, I thought that was important to have our images on there. And I also thought it was important 
to, without saying it, to shout out the metropolis, which is Chicago, that we both grew up in, right on the outside of it. So um, I wanted something bold, and you can't get any more bold than purple lettering and a and an orange cover. I'd like you both to share some poems. Okay, this is the poem that I was looking for. Um, both of our books, Dr. Ingram, um, Different Sides of the Same Coin is a shout out to our dad and our mother because our mother and our father are were just so pivotal in who we are as people and our love for books. And we would not be anything without them. So the poem that I'm going to read now is called The Healing Elixir of Mommy's Kitchen. That's what we lovingly refer to our mother. We were grown women with kids of our own, but we always referred to her as mommy. And uh, this is called The Healing Elixir of Mommy's Kitchen. Home, a familiar safe haven where smells of pure goodness pour from mommy's kitchen right into the center of your soul. Comforting scents of warm sugary fruit compote and vanilla extract form enchanting cakes, pies, and cobblers penetrating the air. The fragrant healing elixir of mommy's kitchen grants us permission to work on our diets and life's problems the day after tomorrow. Poem. Mm -hmm. Oh, how sweet. I love that. Yes. Yes. Lawrence. Okay. I, I rarely do this poem in public for some reason. I don't know why. But this is a poem that I, I, I was requested to write because this is when my sister found out I could write poetry. So she asked me to write her a poem for her wedding day. And I gave my sister pure hail uh, because I'm a procrastinator. And I wrote this at three o'clock in the morning, the day before her wedding. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, at that time, that's just how I uh, wrote. Okay, so this is uh, a poem called Our Journey Begins. And it's a poem for Cheryl and Michael on their wedding day. Hey there, brother man, black man, Hebrew man, my man. Can I just rap to you for a minute? I mean, thin lines, so fine. Can I have a piece of your time? It's all about the real. I mean, tell me what you know, and I'll tell you what I know. And together, you and me, we can just flow. You know, you know what I'm saying? In the light of your eyes, I see the Father. I'm talking Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hey, man, can I be your Rachel? Can we do this thing? Take it back to the beginning. In the essence of your smile, I see the creation. Feeling your stimulation. You dig my vi vibration? Check this out, Black man. You and I joining as one, praying as one, moving as one. Two separate entities, but one mind. Loving, holding one another. Uplifting each other until the ancient of days come and make us all one. You dig my flow? You see where I'm coming from? I'm talking to you long and lean, locked up tight, looking so right. Let's dance to the beat of this rhythm called life. I take your hand, you take mine, and together we move into the end of time. We start our journey, our journey in the sixth month on the 25th day 
in this year, 2000, you taking me, me taking you, and together we vow these vows, sharing our love before God, family, and friends in oneness today. Our journey begins. You know, when I listen to the two of you, mm-hmm. you you are two sides of the same coin. Yeah, you already know that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, Cheryl, your composure and Loris, you're free as a bird. Right. <laughs> I, we always say she's the straight man to my, my right. right. And you need both. Yes. To, to live in a sense. Right. <laughs> you need to be structured, but you yes. also need to feel free. Right. To live a balanced life. So when you think about writing different sides of the same coin, what were some of the predominant things? We talked about a couple of them, I believe. Different sides of the same coin. Themes are family. Okay. Themes yeah. are love. Themes are struggle trying to figure out yourself, who you are, coming to love yourself, coming to grips with who you are as a person, celebrating Black culture, celebrating Black love, celebrating Black history. In this book, we ask a lot of questions because like I said, these poems, they're from her 20s. And the poems that I wrote are from my 30s. So we're asking a lot of questions. And then, you you know, uh, as the poems go on, you kind of see where we stop asking questions and we're more confident in who we are as women. Because like I said, it started out when we were young and it, and it went on for over 20 years. These poems went on and they went into this book. So it's a journey, and hopefully people will get that when they read the poems, that it's a journey of us trying to find ourselves Mm -hmm. and who we are as Black women. Mm -hmm. What I'd like to know is, how did you select the poems? There's no daylight in thought. So even though these poems were written at different times and under different circumstances, when I went through a lot of the themes were the same. So I don't know if it's because we were just women of a certain age and we were and the experiences were so similar, mm-hmm. but the poems pretty much mirrored the other person's thought process, mm-hmm. which birthed book number two. But when I actually put them together, mm-hmm. um, they were the same message, just coming from uh, different voices, different people. Mm-hmm. So but it was how, how are they organized? Well, uh, it's easy. Um, music is our foil because it was the foil in the love of our parents. Book right. one, which is different sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. The backdrop to this are Negro spirituals. Right. And that is something totally uh, a, a topic in and of itself, because a lot of the Negro spirituals, they weren't allowed to read. They weren't taught proper language. Right. So um, that was just kind of pretty great that our mother loved them so Love. much mm-hmm. and we wanted to incorporate her in what we were doing. So that was our wink and our homage. We were play- paying homage to our mother with the using of the Negro spirituals right. in, in different sides of the same coin. Please share some poems. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, I'm at, I'm in uh, our second book, which is Mirrored Images. And I shared with you guys that we had just lost our patriarch, which was our father. Mm-hmm. And um, Mirrored Images pretty much uh, opens up a poem that I had written and I was able to actually read it to him when he was dying. Uh, And it's called, leave me alone with my blues because book two is the backdrop for that is all blues music and, and jazz. So this one is called, leave me alone with my blues. Some days, all a person has is their blues. I'm talking the Albert King. I've been down since I began to crawl blues. The down home, play the other record or two collard greens with cornbread on the side blues. The kind where you just want to be left alone with your melancholy. Let me feel what I'm feeling, the pain of living black struggle plantation blues. I've been up all night. Ain't nothing going right. B.B. King and Lucille, I think you made your move too soon, Blues. I'm in a ZZ Hill frame of mind. Just leave me alone with my down-home blues. Let the somber and pensive gloom of my soul loop on constant repeat until its familiar cadence becomes stormy Monday blues. Mm. Remembering Sylvester while listening to T-Bone Walker. Wow. I like that. Thank yeah, you. I love that poem because the that music that she mentioned in that poem, mm-hmm. that's what we grew up to. We grew up hearing that because our dad was a big blues fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was telling my sister earlier today that it, it's a shame that daddy had to, to pass away and for me to re-appreciate that music because that music is, to me, that music is Black culture. It is everything about Black culture. Like my sister said, it is, you know, greens and cornbread. It is fried chicken and, you know, Black culture and Black language is us. That is the definition of Black people. And like I was telling my sister, for you not to appreciate the style of music, for you not to see the the beauty in it, there's something lacking in you or you have never been exposed to it because I just love that music. It's just, you know, I find myself just listening to it all the time. And I love that poem because it is a tribute to our father and it's a tribute to how we grew up. Loris, please share. People lost. Who is these people walking around with their pants hanging down? Strange hairdos and jive talk. I hear tell they don't know who they is. They call themselves African-American, but the Africans say it ain't so. What your name is? You, who don't answer to nobody, but everybody's listening. You who ain't got no name, but known by many names. White folk call you niggas. They got, then they got sophisticated and called you Negroes. What your name is? You with your kinky hair, straight hair, weaved hair, curly hair, no hair. Someone said 
you was black, but that's just the color. Another said you were Afro-American, but last I heard, Afro ain't nothing but a hairdo. How come you the only ones don't know who you is? Irish, Spanish, Greek, Italian? What you is, black man? God only knows. Jacob lay hold, but nobody knows. Heard you was lost for 40 years. Kings and queens begat your name. Then time stood still and you lost again. Kicked out, sold and bought, whipped and chained. And you forgot your name. What is your name, Mr. and Mrs. Black? With your cotton picking hands, singing your plantation blues, eating your hot sauce and chitlins? Yeah, I saw you marching in the streets, carrying your signs, sitting at them lunch counters, talking about we shall overcome. I got your black power. Black is beautiful. It's a black thing. Yeah, <laughs> you thought you finally arrived, emancipated, segregated, integrated, and now you is educated. Look at you. There you is in your Givenchy suits, driving your Mercedes Benz, working on Wall Street, living in Manhattan. Oh yeah, that affirmative action is something else. But the uncle in the Supreme House said, y'all don't need that no more. Now, you looking for a friend, but most of them are in the county doing 10. Man, these people sure are strange laying hold to somebody else's name. Now, I hear tell there is a book. It sits on your shelf. Dust it off and take a look. Unstick the pages and walk through the ages, one by one until you're done. Pay attention and read real slow. Break it down, and then y'all know, now that you come to the end, I'll ask my question once again. What your name is and who you be? You close the book and smile at me. Oh. oh. <laughs> I want to know is when you both write your individual poems, uh -huh. what tells a poem where to go? Do you lead or do you follow? Um. And my sister is the same way, my God, she's this brilliant, but the poems have a life of their own and we just, can't, we can't hold back what it is that writes because it, we're living and it really pretty much writes itself. Yeah. So we go back in one of the biggest uh, things for us was we didn't want our poems touched by the language because we knew that if they were cleaned up and over edited, mm -hmm. it would lose the natural rhythm right. of what it is we were trying to say. And, and when you're women of a certain age, and my sister and I both are of that age, um, we weren't going to have someone telling us that we couldn't say certain words. We couldn't use and say right about the N-word. If we've been called the N-word, Right. for the majority of our lives, they certainly can print the N-word. Yes. And so that was a big stickler uh, for us is to keep the natural flow and the natural phonetics and dialects intact. 
And so right. we didn't want them just completely edited to the King's English right. because it would have been impossible for them to have the same effect mm -hmm. had that been manipulated and touched. Yeah, one funny uh, uh, anecdote here is when we first submitted it to the editor, like I said, I'm using a lot of the vernacular and mm -hmm. the old uh, English, uh, well, the old black English. Uh, she was editing, making corrections, trying to correct it. And I had to tell her, no, that is the art form that I am using. I am paying homage to all of our ancestors who had to literally learn the language here just from hearing it. Right. These, this is what it sounded like to them that you were saying. So I, I said, don't edit me. That is done on purpose. Could you imagine had someone edited Burr Mark Rabbit. Twain's books? Could you right. imagine that? Could you imagine had someone actually gone in and edited his writings mm -hmm. about Jim and Tom and Huck? I, I just can't even, it's unfathomable. Right. Here's a question. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a unique lived experience. Mm -hmm. And I define lived experiences as being the stories that people share about themselves and their world. Okay. So when you think about writing a poem, is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? Oh, no. It's definitely letting the wall down. When you write a poem or you tell a story, whatever right. you do, when you put it in words, you are letting the whole world into your experience. Right. You're telling the world who you are. And I think that's what's so beautiful about poetry, because poetry is an individual thing. It is an individual's experience or their emotion. Um, I grew up as an overweight Black kid uh, in the suburbs. And at that time, there were no uh, big girl appreciation. There was none of that. If you were big, you were ignored. You were invisible. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a lot of pain in different sides of the same coin mm -hmm. because that shaped who I am. And I think when you write something down like that, you're definitely exposing yourself. Yes, very much. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Let me just take it just a little bit further. Hughes, God bless him, and James Baldwin, that is what they were just so supreme and awesome in doing, is inviting segments of the population in to the lives and the world of Black people. Yes. As we're seen and as they sometimes don't see us at all. And that's why Langston Hughes' I Too Am America is so timely mm -hmm. because he wanted to very much have his race, has to have his culture, have his people seen, acknowledge and see Black people see what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And in that tradition, my sister and I are very much inviting the population in that may not be necessarily all Black in to take a good bird's eye view of Black culture, Black right. language, Black right. history, Black living. 
And that's what we've done in both of our books. When you think about writing a poem, let's imagine for a, for a moment that a poem is like a cake that needs to be baked. So what goes into this concoction that we call a poem? What do you put in it to bake it? Wow. It would be like we what we said earlier, Dr. Ingram, it would be a lot of us. It would be a lot of our history. It would be a lot of our language. It would be a lot of our culture. It would be a lot of our living experience. All of those ingredients go into the poems that we have written and that we write. She's right. What goes into a poem is your life, your message, your experience, your culture. Those are the ingredients of a, a, a good poem. What is the message that you're trying to convey? So specifically, in terms of mirrored images, your second book was published in 2021. Tell me how the two relate. So what prompted it? This is a very simple answer. Different sides of the same coin. We really want young Black girls and young Black boys, young Black people to understand that the image that they were created in by God in and of themselves in the likeness, in his likeness is perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with it. They don't need to be smaller. They don't need to be taller. They don't need to be smarter. They don't need to have hair weaves if they don't want them. Mm -hmm. Whatever the packaging is, it's enough. And make peace with it because it's perfect. Another difference between the two books, Dr. Ingram, is that, like we said, we have been saying different sides of the same coin was written while we were growing up, becoming who we are. This book is more of real time. Mirrored images, the reason it is named that we're playing on the same concept of different sides of the same coin, but it is who we are today and what we were going through in 20. 21. We were coming through the whole COVID thing. We were stuck at home watching the news and the news was nothing good. So when you read our poems, they talk a lot about what we're seeing, what we're going through. And it's a dedication to our dad who we were taking care of at the time. And he was progressively getting worse by the time we wrote this book. So when you're stuck in the house and, and you're having to separate, what do you do? You'd go to your comfort zone, which for us is writing. So that's where this came from. This world, we are experiencing a lot. Yeah. We experience the good, the bad, the ugly, as well as the indifferent. So what I'd like to know from both of you, mm-hmm. what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern day society? It is to record in real time what is going on mm-hmm. around you and within the world. Because right now, that it wasn't as important, but I'd like to think that every poet in their generation, that job is very similar. Mm-hmm. Langston Hughes and James Baldwin were saying, look at the disparity between how Blacks are treated and versus whites 
we're saying it's 2020 and 2019, but there's not a whole lot of daylight in how our lives are, there's the, the disparity in them. The, the way that black men, black boys, black people in general are killed and brutalized by the police. Right. And so we're writing about that in real time as that is happening. And, and that's so the, important, especially and the job, in this cancel culture that yes. we're living in. It's not even cancel culture. It's culture or race culture is what it is. They're trying to roll back time. They're legislating us back into the 50s. So mm -hmm. it's important for us any black writer, not just poets. Right. It is important for black people. If you can tell a story, tell the story, get it out, write it down mm -hmm. because they're banning books. They're burning books. They're mm -hmm. trying not only to erase history, but rewrite mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So it is important for us to write and tell a story. That's what I love about Paul Lawrence Dunbar, Langston Hughes and James Baldwin. You can live your history and find out we were going through their writings. Right. You can find out what the, the temperament was and how we felt as a people going through that. That is the importance of language and words and poems and right. storytelling to be exactly. a voice for the voiceless. Mirrored images is just the way that we see ourselves mm -hmm. as individuals and as sisters. Mm -hmm. That's the way we see the world okay. that we live in. Okay. And the way we see the world is how we write about it and how we capture it. It's, I am my brother's keeper. Mm -hmm. exactly. if, you look, if you look at the cover mm -hmm. of this book, it is both Cheryl and I looking at each other in the mirror. And what I like about this cover, Dr. Ingram, that we couldn't, okay, the, the first cover we paid an artist to do that. And I kept trying to get the artist to, she captured Cheryl perfectly, but me, she made me thinner than what I am. And I wanted her because it's been a long journey for me to accept who I was. And my sister, it, it's funny. She had been telling me my whole life, accept myself, to love myself. Mm -hmm. And she kept telling me my whole life that I was good enough but I never believed it. And it was something happened when I was 40 years old. And she said, look, Loris, you're gonna have to accept it. If you're not going to lose the weight, you're gonna have to accept it. And I don't know what it was about her that got to me, but it did. So on the second book, <laughs> you will see fluffy big girl looking at her sister because we're so much alike, it's, that's why we're looking through a mirror, because we see ourselves in each other. Another anecdote is my son did the, the cover oh, wow. for the that's second nice. book. He wow. drew it. Very nice, very nice. Okay. Mirrored images then are about what? The same things, because as Black women, regardless of whether you're 20 mm -hmm. or you're 40, or 50 in our instances now, those messages just, they evolve. We've evolved, we've yes. accepted, we've made peace with who we are as people. Exactly. And that's the message. We realize that all of the things that 
society tells you're supposed to be. You're supposed to speak the king's English. You're supposed mm -hmm. to be this polished person with hair down to your back right. and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. If it isn't like that, right. is it any less good? Is it any less valuable? Because it doesn't look like the package that society tells you that it's supposed to look. And we're telling what our message is, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to look because like that. whatever you are, you're good enough. You're good enough. I'd like you both to tell me, has a poem that either of you've written ever humbled or frightened you? A poem that we've written that's yes. humbled us? Yes, humbled or frightened you, yes. I can answer that question because I am my sister's biggest cheerleader. Mm -hmm. So her writing by definition humbles me every single day. Oh. And when I am going through something, and as, as we all do, I, I love Maya Angelou and, and, and Sonia Sanchez. They're, they are the arsenal. But when you have your own Maya Angelou that you can go to and you can be pulled up, and I say it all the time, Dr. Ingram, I'm six foot two without a shoe. I'm a very tall woman. And I stand on the shoulders of my little sister who is not as tall. Mm -hmm. And for so long of our journey, I was her hero. I ran in and I saved her. I was the one that when they were beating up my sister and then she was being bullied in school, it was me rolling around in the dirt, having the fights with the kids after school. She was superwoman, Dr. Ingram. She was but, my superwoman and she still is. <laughs> but the roles have changed because right now she is who I look to. She is who I go to for strength. She is who I go to for just to pull me up and make me feel better about my circumstances or just my general mindset to just make me just give me strength to endure another day. She pulls me up like that. And so it's a blessing to be able to have someone that you, you were in the same bathtub, but that is an testament to really the breadth and the scope of the gift that God gave her. So she's my person. She is who I go to for inspiration. And Dr. Ingram, it's been, it's always been like that. For me, Cheryl was that for me. And for her to be able to say that I'm that for her as we're older, because she know I was her biggest fan. I was at every basketball game, every tennis match, every volleyball game. Every, the woman did it all and she was good at it all. Every track meet, I was there cheering for her. And I couldn't do any of those things. Us a this woman made us a package deal. She was not going to play for your team unless you made a space for me who couldn't do anything. I couldn't run. I couldn't play tennis. I couldn't do anything. I was the little chubby kid running behind her. But in basketball, they made me the statistician. I used to have to keep the stats for the team because they wanted Cheryl so bad. That they, and she told him, you, you got to make a space for my sister. And so they made me the statistician so I could go on the away games with her. That's who Cheryl is. She's always been my hero. And she still is. And for her to say that when she's down, she reads my poems. 
you just have no idea what that means to me because she's always been that for me. Would you like your books to resonate with a broad or specific audience? We want them to resonate with whoever feels like they can get something from them. We write right. as Black women, our vantage point is from that perspective. Right. But if you feel bullied or you feel like you were made to not feel like you were enough or within yourself, you're not pleased with yourself. If you can relate to these poems, mm -hmm. then our writing is for you. Right. So right. in terms of selecting those pieces, because they're newer, how did you go about that? Like I said, we the story that we are telling is very much a story of family, which will resonate with mostly anyone. Right. Okay. Burying, losing your patriarch. Our father was battling cancer mm -hmm. and we were under the COVID restraints, which meant that we had to shelter in place. Mm -hmm. So for Laris and I, we went back to what we know. We just dug in within that space. We dug deep and we had, like most of us do, we have father issues. We were trying to understand ourselves as women mm -hmm. and understand some of the broken dynamics of being daughters of a man that grew up in the segregated South that really didn't, we didn't always get the tender side of our father. And here we are as grown women having to go back home to a house that we were raised in, which is 50 years old and care for this man who spent the majority of our lives pushing us away. And so here we are in under COVID and here we are having to care for him. And it's just Loris and I doing it. And, 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 and is our family that small? No, it isn't that small, but you find out who's really behind you. And when all of that was going on, my person, my younger sister was behind me. Yeah. And, and the fact, Dr. Ingram, that Cheryl and I had different relationships with our father, you can tell that from some of the poems in our book, we had a, a different relationship. I was the youngest and Cheryl was his favorite. <laughs> and we had very different relationships with our dad. And like she touched on having to go back as grown women to our childhood house where it wasn't a lot of happy, gushy memories and to see, to have to take care of the person who gave you a lot of those unhappy memories to have to take care of him. But then in our eyes, he was this big, bigger than life kind of person. And to see him diminish to what he was, that dynamic, we speak to that in the book. And it's a crazy kind of cathargic kind of experience. You're having to deal with that and see that and then you have to keep telling yourself you're not that 10-year-old little girl. With that, the question that I ordinarily ask is, mm -hmm. does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? Of course it hurts. Of course. Because of course it's a hurtful experience because 
Laris and I, we spoke to this Dr. Ingram. Writers in general don't give their audience the proper credit for being intelligent people. And they know when something isn't authentic and it's disingenuous. They know when somebody is faking something. And so for us, we pour out our heart and soul in these writings because they are who we are. This writing is an extension of who we are. So there is nothing fake in here. If anything, a lot of people will love these poems because they can relate to it as human condition and experience. And life is not always happy and partying. That's just not life. And that's what we, we write from our experience. And this was our experience. And the way we worked through that is through our writing. We've reached my favorite part of the show. Okay. Viewed as being a mini poetry concert. This is an opportunity for both of you to share two or three of your works back to back, no interruptions from me. Now you're both on stage, take over. Okay, Paramount Workmanship is pretty much my signature piece. My sister has so many beautiful writings uh, for women, but because we just um, celebrated International Black Women's History Month and we're going into Mother's Day, another celebration of women, we don't have our mother, but this poem reminds me of her and so much of who she is in me. And this is why I want to do this piece. It's called Paramount Workmanship. You can't dull my shine, no matter how hard you try. It was given to me from my creator, the maker and giver of life. I was made in his image, bearing his likeness and similitude. That's the reason why you hate me and don't understand my unapologetically black and majestic attitude. Be mindful how you treat me. Consider your evil ways. I am the paramount workmanship of my everlasting father, the ancient of days. So while you hating on me, the good book says you should be loving me. Careful. I'm the apple of my maker's eye, made to shine brighter than the stars that light up the never-ending sky. Stop blaming, shaming, and renaming me. I was fashioned in God's image. That's why you can't dull my shine. I'm fueled by the power of the stone of Israel since before clocks could keep in perfect time. You can't contain the light or block out my shine. It was first formed by my creator long before clocks could keep in perfect time. Poem. Wow. Love that. That's one of my favorites. This is called 19th Century China. We are broken China cups, which have fallen off the shelf, put back together with strength and determination, and still we shine. Though we have not been dusted off in years, in fact, we have been neglected by the hands of those who were supposed to cherish us the most. We have been tucked away, hidden behind the plain white porcelain platter on which they have placed more value. But in actuality, we are 19th century Naples, Capo de Monte, China, meticulously painted and trimmed in gold. So don't be mad when someone else discovers our beauty, dusts us off, take us from behind the plain white porcelain platter 
and move us to the center of the China cabinet because that is where we were always meant to be. Porn. Okay, my second piece, I'm gonna go and do a little bit of social justice right here. It's called Black Folks Tired of Singing, We Shall Overcome. White privilege gives you cover. Your blues ain't nothing like mine. Police don't kill white people, mostly killing mine. No justice, no peace, police brutality. 400 years of black lives in peril spawn black hostility. 100 years of singing, God bless America, let freedom ring. While the world stands by in silence watching black suffering. You cannot know the rage I carry that's buried deep inside. Protesting since Martin Luther King, living separate and unequal, bloody black lives. Poem. Wow. This poem is called A Voice to the Voiceless. Have all the truths been told? Have all the words of the struggle been written? Martin has been to the mountaintop. Langston told us what happens when a dream is deferred. Have all the relevant words been written? Ralph made us see the invisible man. The phenomenal Maya told us why the caged bird sings. As we eagle tripped with Nikki, our eyes were watching God with Zora. We took James by the hand to go tell it on the mountain. What could I possibly add to a story that has already been told? From Moses to Malachi to Matthew and the revelation of John, our story has already been recorded. What more important words can I write than those that give eternal life? I am a sponge soaking up, soaking up the knowledge which has already been put on paper. I am a student learning from the masters. I am blessed to pick up a pen and continue the traditions of our great and prolific ancestors. For as long as we live and struggle for what should be ours, we must continue to give a voice to the voiceless. Poem. Question for you. How would you classify your ability to write poetry as a creative gift or creative art? Explain your choice. I think it's both. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I say that, I am convinced that Laris, my sister, mm -hmm. I saw this in her. I, I have to try extra hard to capture a quarter of what she naturally just is able to capture with very little effort. And that's how I know that hers is very much a natural gift. Mm -hmm. I have a natural gift too, but I have to work awfully hard at it. It doesn't come as natural in terms of she's her, her usage of metaphors, similes, and just capturing what is natural, the, the black dialect and and, and the speech patterns and the rhythm of the speech patterns. People go to school to learn that stuff. <laughs> and so this is, that's why I know that it is very much a, a, a gift. She has to work at it, but the Lord blessed her with so many other things. <laughs> Dr. Ingram, she is so good at 
so many different things. She And she's a great writer. And this third book, y'all look out because my sister's coming with the thunder. And I'm telling you, it, she says I motivate her, but when she's reading me, this new stuff, she's motivating me. I'm like, oh my God, I got to keep up. I got to keep up. I, it, I was running out of juice. Like I said, my sister's coming with the thunder. And just to see her growth is really, you, you don't know how much that's making me smile. And I'm just so proud of her. The fact that here was something that she wasn't already good at. Because like I said, growing up with Cheryl, I used to hate to read. Dr. Ingram, because Cheryl could read a book in five minutes. She could read a 300 book in that same day, a 300 page book. And it would take me all week to read that book. And then she could tell you what it was about. She, she got that from our parents. She was ravenous when it came to reading books. And I hated it because and I didn't want to be in competition with my sister. I always admired her. And if I wasn't good at something, I just didn't try it. And so for us to do this together, and I think we push one another, we make each other better. Do you think you were meant to be poets? Absolutely. Tell me more. I know that because I look at young women and I see myself in young women, which is why on the second book, we're looking at each other, but the other person's reflection casts back as opposed to looking in the mirror and seeing Laura, she sees me. So when I'm writing, I feel the pain of these young women feeling as if they are not seen feeling as if they need to do and be more than who they are. Mm -hmm. And we do very much feel like we are voices for these women or any person that feels like they have been uprooted and misplaced, mistreated, mm -hmm. not seen. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what our purpose as Black poets and writers is to give a voice and a face to people that may feel like they don't really right. have that. Right, right, right. Loris, anything from you? Just to piggyback off of that, having gone through the experience and seeing these young girls not sure of themselves, and it's a shame that has to come with age, that you can't develop that out of the gate. Because when you finally really discover yourself and really love yourself, you look up and you're like 45 years old. <laughs> when you, that's when I really, seriously, that's when I really said, you know what, to hell with it. I am what I am. And if you can get with it, you can get with it. And if you can't, to hell with you. <laughs> if we could get some of that when we're 15, when we're 13, can you imagine how great we would be you wouldn't be afraid to reach for the stars to come outside of your comfort zone. So if we can just if the, teach these young girls to come outside of their comfort zone and believe in themselves, we've done something. If we could just get one young Black girl who may not be the prime queen, 
to just look at herself and say, you know what, doggone it, I'm good enough. Wow. Then we've succeeded. Or or, or one black boy, because as I see myself, I see my counterpart in my black man. Yes. If if he can know that someone is rooting for him yes. and loves him and that he's enough and we're not right. asking him to be smarter, we're not asking him to be taller, we're not asking him to be anything. We're saying we see you and we love you. Right. And we acknowledge you and we embrace you. Wow. And Dr. Ingram, we have so many poems to the brothers mm-hmm. <laughs> in these books telling mm-hmm. them that they are enough and mm-hmm. that we love them and we need them to take their place as the head of the households once again. Mm-hmm. We That is our message to the young Black men. I was a mother, a single mom to a young Black boy, and I spent a lot of time telling him, Jonah, if you like it, people will get with it. Don't try to conform and be anything to anybody else, be to yourself, love yourself. Because if you like it, they will come. They will come to you. We've Mm -hmm. reached the end of our poetic journey. Usually I ask my people if they would favor us with one more poem before we go. Could you do that for me? Oh, sure. All right. What book is Why You Hate Me? Oh, that's in different sides of the same coin. Okay. Would you favor us with one poem each just to close out a perfect program? Absolutely. Cheryl, you please go first. My last poem for the evening is going to be from Mirrored Images, and it's called Unrepentantly Melanated. And this poem was just birthed in all that we are as Black people, the struggle, where we are from the writing of James Baldwin up into this moment. And so this is my quick flash forward, flashback, and it's called Unrepentantly Melanated. Melanated pain is ageless from Mount Sinai to the Middle Passage and beyond Jamestown. It can't be dated or time stamped, bought and sold, chained and whipped, subjugated, then segregated, integrated, now educated, still fighting old Confederate flag fights. These folks want me to remain quiet while they have their parades, lauding Confederate memories of as sanguine as, sang, as sanguine flags wave reminiscent of the white only Jim Crow glory days. Why do I still feel the sting of the slave master's whip upon my back in 2020? The Klan in blue killing black people in the light of day, smirking as life drains out of our fathers, brothers, uncles, cousins, friends, and yes, sometimes would-be lovers. Melanated pain is ageless, from Mount Sinai to the Middle Passage and beyond Jamestown. It can't be dated or time-stamped. Since the moment of the second Black exodus from slave ships, we have borne that pain then on bloody backs, now upon weak and very fragile necks. Black pain is palpable. 
It's so hard to breathe. 401 years of white America standing upon the necks and backs of a weathered and worn, unrepentantly melanated nation. Our God has brought us to our knees. Poem. Wow. That's one of my favorites. Okay, this poem is called Why You Hate Me. Why you hate me? You hate me because I walk and I sway to the rhythm of my own greatness, which God gave me from the beginning of time. You hate me because when I talk, I flow like the waters of the Egyptian Nile. You hate me because my eyes glow with the history of an entire nation of priests and kings. You hate me because my rich dark chocolate skin radiates and reflects the sun which lights the whole earth. You hate me because my lips are full and soft with a sensuous curve, speaking the Proverbs of Solomon. You hate me because my kinky soft hair You hate me because my body was carved by the master sculptor Jehovah. You hate me because you spend your days and nights thinking of new ways to hold me down, but still I rise, soaring higher and higher. You hate me because like King David, I excel at your own tests of strength. I run, I jump, I climb, I catch, I throw, and I beat you at your own game. You hate me because I, want, I won't let you define me and tell me who and what you want me to be because you're afraid of who I really am. You hate me because you want to be me. Poem. Wow. Where can we find different sides of the same coin and mirrored images? Where can we find those books? They're everywhere fine books are sold online. So you can go to Amazon, you can get them directly from us on our website. You can go to Barnes and Noble. They're at uh, Walmart, they're everywhere. They're Google Books. They're both in Google Books. So they're wherever books are sold online. Okay. So where can we find the two of you? How can we stay in contact with you? Look for us under our brand name, which is Sisters Rock and Rhyme. We're on Facebook, all social media. So if you see Sisters Rock and Rhyme on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, that's how you'll find us, Sisters Rock and Rhyme. Where do you go from here? What's next creatively? Well, as my sister relates to you guys, we are working on book number three, and I'm so excited about it because it's doing what we love to do, which is poems and poetry. And I'd like to think that we're pretty good at it. Right. So <laughs> we'll, right. be, uh, we'll be there for the next, at least the next year, Promoting and again, them. this the third book is talking about our era, Cheryl and I era. We mm -hmm. grew up in we're 80s and 90s girls. Mm -hmm. We pay homage to the 80s and 90s. All right, and, yeah. So this book is about us. Well, <laughs> tell, tell Dr. Ingram the name of it because I just love the name of this third book. <laughs> no, you tell. Go ahead. <laughs> it's it's Sisters Rock and Rhyme presents poems. In the key of life. Oh, wow. That's book number three. Oh, wow. yeah. Nice. <laughs> I want to thank the both of you for 
sharing such wonderful work. You're a remarkable duo. Thank you. And you complement each other so well. And you write so well. Wow. I can see great things happening. I'm sure they already have, but I see even more great things happening. Thank you, Thank Dr. You. Ingram. Thank, Thank you so, you so much. much. Have a great night, Dr. Ingram. Thank you so yes, much for your patience. We patient. had a great time. I had a really good time. <laughs> yeah, this is by far, I think, one of my favorite interviews, <laughs> maybe. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. The people out there in the world, as I share with you every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, Cheryl. Good night, Loris. Good night, Thank Dr. Ingram. So Thank you so much. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.